Welcome everybody to Catfish Weekly presented by Whiskerware Apparel along with Chuck Davison and Doc Lang. I'm Lyle Stokes and welcome to the show. Chuck, how's it going in Alabama today? Oh man, it's very nice. It, you know, it's always is when you got to work. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we had a great weekend. You know, the winds were, um, you know, pretty strong. We could have done um, a lot better without that wind. But uh, I, I fished on Pickwick for the very first time this weekend, and um, it was everything I thought it was going to be. It's beautiful up there. Uh, the Muscle Shoals, Florence area. Um, it's it's on the other side of Wilson Lake from uh, Lake Wheeler, um, and and it goes up into Tennessee up toward Kentucky Lake. And we we just stayed down by the dam since you know the spawns coming in and all. Um, we had a really good time. Alabama Catfish Trail and Daniel Parsons did a really good job with that tournament. That's good. Daniel does a really good job down there. I, uh, you know, I know that uh, he has some issues at times with having to work and stuff, but, but he does a really good job and, and get as much of that stuff done as you can down there because you never know when there's going to be another tournament down the road. and. And uh, he's the one that's picked it up down there and made all that stuff come together real well. Yeah, and he's uh, he's jumping on in there with, um, you know, he's he's kind of got in his heart about going after this game status thing here also. And um, I think he's going to have a lot of backing from the bass guys also. Um, he, he's been Good getting, deal. He's been getting with the uh, a lot of these associations, bass associations, and, you know, he's told them about, um, you know how catfishing can grow. We just need the game status and all that stuff. And um, I think they're ready to maybe trying to do something here pretty soon. I'll be right there with them if they try it, though. Absolutely, absolutely. That's uh, uh, game fish status for catfish is something that's really a no-brainer. And I'm not sure why more states don't get on board with that. But once the uh, catfish is put in the game fish category. Uh, in every state that has issues with regulations and um, uh, conservation efforts, it will make it so much easier for all of us to get stuff done. Because uh, you know, in my state of Missouri, not only is catfishing uh, a game fish, it is the number one game fish, and it's not just in Missouri; it's in several other other states. And people don't realize that, but if you do some checking, you you would see that. Uh, it is the number one game fish in a lot of places, and uh, they they need to get the respect they they deserve. Oh yeah, um, yeah. I want to say congratulations to Kevin Ernest. He uh, he won the Alabama Catfish Trail tournament uh, Saturday up on Pickwick. Um, he's he's been uh, following a lot of the catfish trail when it comes, um, you know, up on the Tennessee River. Uh, he's from over in Mississippi, and um, you know he's he's been working really hard, and uh, he pulled through on Saturday, and uh, he got big fish and first place. The big got big fish of 54 pounds, and he had a 71 pound basket. Uh, that's with three fish, only with one over 34 inches. That's how the uh, Alabama catfish trail rolls: uh, one over 34 and two under. That's good. That's good. And regulations like that is a stable, and that's uh, should be put in effect. One or two over 34 should be in effect in every state. There's has catfish, blue catfish, and flatheads, and uh, you know something smaller for the 
or the uh, channel cat. It doesn't really matter which catfish it is. They all deserve uh, to save those breeding size fish. These clowns that, that think that they can just take these fish away and kill all the big ones, uh, you know, something's got to be done with this, and we need to work really hard to make that happen. Yeah. Doc, how's it going in Ohio tonight? Uh, great. I spent the uh, whole afternoon out on the lake testing that new rod that you got. Boy, it, it's amazing. Uh, I, That's I, a tough I, deal, ain't it, Chuck? Yeah, yeah I've seen uh, that. You know, sitting there at work and having to watch him uh, <laughs> film the rod. Uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, we had a good time. We caught 24 fish. The biggest one was an 8-pound channel cat. It didn't come on that rod. It came on my, one of my 10-footers. So, but I knew, I knew it was a good rod. But I'm going to test it out this weekend. We're going to fish a tournament this weekend, and I'm only hopefully I can put a big one in the boat with it. I'll let you know just how well it works. But uh, beautiful day here in Ohio. It was right around 80 degrees. Uh, awesome. Perfect fishing weather. So. That's that's a good deal. That's that's a really good deal. Uh, you know, we we're having some really high humidity days here in Missouri too, and it uh, seems like it's going to rain constantly, but I know it's not going to rain every day. Some someday it's going to quit for a few days and and we'll get things going and and get that taken care of. Well, gentlemen, tonight, and I hope I say his name right, Brad Hurstetler, Is that correct? You got it. You got it. Bob. Okay, Brad is Brad is with us from the Bay Advocates Organization out in Maryland and the Potomac River and uh, Virginia and all those places that are working really hard to save the uh, the blue catfish that, that they're wanting to do away with out there. And, and to me, uh, I, I'm just in disbelief that uh, a State Department that would put those fish in an area uh, 20 or 25 years later would try to take them out by any means. And by any means, I mean shocking them, netting them. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what these people think about, but when they put them nets out and them gill nets not only get the catfish, they get the bass and the stripers and any other fish in there, and they're detrimental to every fish that gets in them. So uh, these, I, I don't know where these guys got educated at out there, but it must have been the, uh, uh, I, I don't know. It's just crazy what they're doing out there. And, and uh, Brad, I, I hope that you have some good news for us and maybe we can get in on, uh, some of the guys that, that look at, at the Potomac River and the James River and places out there where you're at uh, uh, wanting to take trips out there and make these, these regulators understand that, uh, you know, in my instance, I would never go to Maryland. Uh, I have no reason to be there unless I went out there on the Potomac River to catfish. So uh, I'm sure I'm not the only person in the world like that, and it's not that there's not other stuff to do out there. But if I come out there, that's the thing that would interest me. And if they eradicate the blue catfish out there, I, I'd never go to Maryland. There's no question. I'd never be there for any reason. Yep, I understand. And um, yeah, I'd like to start off, Lyle, by thanking you and, and Chuck and Doc for having us on. And uh, we'll be happy to oh. talk anything we can about Bay Catfish Advocates and what we're trying to do. That would that would be great now. I'm, I'm going to turn you over to Chuck, and I'm sure he's got some questions for you, and, and we'll go through that, and then we'll get what Doc uh, has to visit with you about, and then I've got some other stuff, and we'll we'll see what we can do. And at the end, any time that you feel that you that somebody needs to know about a way of helping you as far as a website or, or uh, stuff they need, paperwork they need to fill out to help you guys in your endeavor, feel free to let us know. 
I will. Thank you, Bob. All righty. There you go, Chuck. Hey, Brad, um, can you give us a small preview uh, for, for some guys that may be watching this video <laughs> that, that is really not sure what's going on out there? Can you give us a briefing on uh, what's going on, how it uh, came to be, and the, the status right now? Sure, Chuck. Um, so, you know, the organization covers uh, the Chesapeake Bay region, which primarily is three states, uh, Maryland, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. Um, around, I guess it was around 2014, um, some of the state agencies in this area began to deem blue catfish and flathead catfish invasive. Um, by that, they meant, uh, in their opinion, they were non-native. Um, I can't argue with that because there's a lot of fish here that are, quite honestly, introduced for non-native. Um, but they also went a step further and, and said, you know, they cause environmental and economic harm. Now, Maryland has been the most aggressive of the three states. Uh, Maryland, um, in essence, has no regulations right now, Chuck, to protect um, blues or flatheads of any size, yet alone the trophies. And they went a step further and are certainly encouraging folks to basically um, remove anything that they catch, regardless of size. And they're also encouraging uh, the commercial fishermen to come take what they want, regardless of size. Um, Virginia has been much more conservative. Uh, Virginia has a no more than one blue catfish over 32 inches per day rule, which I think is a good thing. And they also have a rule that prohibits people from transporting live fish um, within and outside of Virginia. So I think, you know, Virginia is certainly um, much more conservative and much more hesitant to pull the trigger, if you will. And Pennsylvania, um, they're embarking on a study of flatheads on the Susquehanna right now. And they're kind of waiting to see what this study, as well as some other future studies, show before they do anything really, um, you know, harsh or overboard. So uh, that's kind of what we're dealing with right now. Um, and I guess, as you can tell from the three states that I described, uh, probably the biggest state of concern is Maryland's position. So, so Mar Maryland's responsible for the uh, that area of the Potomac River that they're pushing to uh, to strip. Yes, um, Maryland. It's a little confusing because there's a sev there are several agencies that have their hand in the Potomac, depending on where you're at. But uh, one of the major stretches where most of the trophy catfish are caught from uh, is certainly under Maryland's control. And um, it's almost as if the other states are kind of saying, hey, you know, we don't have the data to make a extreme decision like let's get rid of everything that's in there regardless of size, let's not protect it. Maryland has kind of, in my opinion, put the part before the horse. In other words, without the data in hand, like the other states have acknowledged that they don't have, they've kind of, you know, put the rules in effect to say, we really don't care about these fish. We want them gone. We want them gone from the recreational side. We want to open it up for commercial anglers to take what they want. We don't care whether it's a big blue or flathead or a small. We just want them out of there. Hmm. Okay, so... Um 
So where are we at now? What do we need to do to uh, to get this stuff starting to be reversed and um, and it continuing to be a nice trophy fishery? Well, and that's that's important right there. The Potomac really is special. Um, I have fished uh, the rivers in Virginia, um, the James and the Rappahannock, and I've also spent a fair amount of time on the Potomac. And it really is a special river. Um, you know, fish over 30 pounds are are, are relatively common there, and that's a very unique thing, as uh, some of the guys from out of state who have come there to fish can, can attest to. Um, so we're at the point now with Bay Catfish Advocates where we've decided that you know we're ready to ask Maryland to put some catfish regulations in place to protect the big fish in Maryland waters. Now the process is you have to go through a group called the Sport Fishing Advisory Commission, SFAC for short. Um, they have quarterly meetings. The next one is July 2016. So you first of all have to make their agenda. And then assuming you make their agenda, you have to go in front of the group and present your case. And if the case is strong enough, they in turn recommend to the Maryland Department of Natural Resources that, you know, a reg can be implemented. So that's where we're at right now. We're trying to get on the agenda of that particular group that I just mentioned for the July 2016 meeting. Um, we put our request in, and we're waiting to hear from them, and probably won't know, quite honestly, for another week or two whether we make the cut or not. Um, obviously, we're hoping we do because we think we can make a strong case um, for the changes we're requesting. But one thing that would be very helpful is uh, if folks would go onto the baycatfish.com website. Um, at the top of every page, there's a little button that says "Make a Difference." You simply click on there, and it will take you to a very, very short and simple online form that we're using to hopefully show these folks in the state agencies in Maryland that we have support from recreational anglers out there. That they agree with what we're trying to do, and that they support us from that. The form is very simple. There's only uh, four <coughs> mandatory fields. It can be filled out in probably two minutes or less. Um, and there's also an optional field for comments if you want to take a little more time and offer some personal comments. But it's a very simple quick form, and that would be one way that folks can definitely help us out. Uh, well, what what type of catfishing events? Um, Besides the uh, Potomac River Monster uh, tournaments, uh, frequent the but the Potomac. Is there any trails that come up there and uh, have a big gathering? Well, the Cabela's King Cat Trail um, was there last uh, spring, and that was kind of a big deal. Now they did from the Virginia side of the river, which um, because of the rules in Virginia, really didn't showcase the big fish potential of the Potomac, had it been launched on the Maryland side, um, the rules would have been different in terms of the size of fish that they brought in and it really would have showcased just how awesome of a trophy catfishery that is. Now from 2012 up until a couple of months ago, of course, there was the Potomac River Monster Cats Tournament Trail, which uh, Joe Sauer created. That was pretty much a monthly event. And that had a very loyal and dedicated following, not only the teams that fished it, but also a, a pretty regular group of spectators who enjoyed coming to the weigh-ins to fish. 
Now, Joe has um, decided that after several years of running that tournament trail, he'd like to move on to some other things. So um, that tournament trail is no more. However, I am hearing that there is a potential trail in the works that will eventually replace that here in short order. So, uh, you know, those, those are the formal events, Chuck, not to mention the, uh, you know, the hardcore recreational catfish guys who are committed to going there on their free time pretty regularly. Right. I was just wondering, you know, what type of events are around to bring attention to uh, to the catfish being a sport fish. You know, if, if people see, a um, you know, a group of guys out, um, you know, angling and coming in uh, as an event, you know, they can see it being a sport fish and, and seeing how special it is instead of uh, people just bringing in, you know, tubs of them, you know, to eat and to haul off to the pay lakes. Well, and that's, that's been one thing that, quite frankly, has somewhat baffled me about the state of Maryland's approach. Um, I would have a hard time believing that they are not recognizing this, but certainly the other states, Virginia and Pennsylvania, have recognized the fact that a lot of folks, both within, you know, Maryland, Virginia, and PA, and also lots of folks outside of those states, um, are very much interested in regularly coming to fish the Potomac because of how special it is. And of course, to me, that equates, if, I, if I'm a state agency, that equates to revenue, you know? And it, 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 it really does um, concern me that they're overlooking that. Um, there is a website that has to do with the James River, and there is a quote on there from a, a guide, I believe, who put the website together, but essentially the quote says that in a nine-month period in 2002, okay, so we're back a few years now, um, on the James River alone, $2.5 million in revenue was brought in related to the catfishing. Well, that's 2002 money, so obviously it would be up you know, more in today's money, but yeah. that's just an example on the James, and I think the Potomac has every bit that potential uh, to draw that kind of revenue in if the state would be willing to recognize that and, and, and you know, grasp it. Wow, man, it's uh, it's terrible that, that, you know, to watch something like that just uh, fall to pieces, you know, the... You know, it's it's kind of making me want to hurry up and, and uh, you know jump on my bucket list a little bit because I I'd really like to get out there while it's at its prime and just in case it don't get turned around because I I don't want to miss how special it is right now and um, I've been invited out by a good friend Ray Stitcher quite a few times and uh, me and Leanne go you know go join their family out on the lake and all but. You know, it's kind of making me want to kind of hurry up and get out there and, and enjoy it because I don't know which direction this thing's really going to take. It looks like it's taking a turn for the worse right now. Yeah, it's uh, on the surface, the, the direction that it may take doesn't look real positive, but that's where we have to come together as catfish anglers, and it's it's not just the bay catfish advocates. I would think that, you know, regardless of some of the differences of opinion between recreational catfish anglers, uh, recreational anglers from any state should come together and support, you know, the conservation movement of these trophy catfish, and that's where we really could use some help. And what's interesting is, of the forms that we've received so far to show support for the changes of regs in Maryland, over half of them have come from states outside of, 
Maryland, Virginia, and Pennsylvania. And guess which states they are? They're the states that have seen firsthand what poor regulations or the absence of regulations can do to kill a catfishery. And that right there should mean something because these guys are saying, I'm supporting it and I'm not anywhere near Maryland, but I'd like to come up there sometime. And I can tell you firsthand, I've seen it in my own state. Not having these rules in place will quickly take what is a special catfishery and dismantle it, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, it, it only takes a few minutes to fill that paperwork out. In fact, when you was talking about filling that out, although I had already done it, I went on there in about 40 seconds is what it took me to, to do it again. So, people, if you don't have 30 or 45 seconds to fill out this to help these great catfishers, uh, and, and out in Merrill, they need this, and it doesn't take but just a minute. So please go to their website, baitcatfishadvocate.com, uh, and click on that link and, and just fill it out. You can put your name and, and what state you live in and, and uh, write a little description down through there, and, and uh, it's basically it. It only takes a minute, and it is something that we all need to do. And Chuck, you had mentioned uh, Ray Stitchers. Ray is a very good friend of mine, and he has been a very strong supporter of our group. Um, by way of example, he had a gentleman by the name of Claude Reynolds out about a month ago um, on the Potomac. Claude and one of his buddies drove all the way down just to fish with Ray. And Ray described the outing as just a typical outing. It wasn't like, boy, I just tore up the 50-plus pound fish. It was just a typical Potomac outing. Well, for the out-of-state gentleman, and it's all relative, right, what, what you're used to catching. They, they really had a blast because those fish were bigger than what they typically catch in their home waters. So even a so-so day on the Potomac compared to other states is really a special thing. And, and that alone is reason, you know, to want to conserve what we have. You're, you're absolutely right. Ah, right, man, it was nice talking to you, and I'm going to pass you on to Doc. I'm sure he's got a lot of questions for you. And, Thank uh, you. Good evening. Yeah. So, how long has this been going on? When did they start this? Um, well, you mean when were the uh, blue catfish first stocked and so forth, or no? When did they start? All of a sudden, somebody says, "Hey, these guys, uh, we don't want these fish in our waters anymore." Oh, well. When did that start? That's the ironic part about it. It's been within the last five years. And think about it, those fish were purposely introduced into the Chesapeake Bay waters by state biologists in Virginia, guess when? In the 1970s. Wow. So over 40 years later, somebody came to the realization that all of a sudden we don't want them there anymore and we're going to try to get rid of them. So there was now, a are they, are they think? And we all know that blues and flatheads are just, you know, they just eat anything and everything. Or is somebody in there in Maryland saying these flatheads uh, and blues are just eating something that somebody's going crazy over? Well, you know, there's there's some there's some fish in Maryland that um, are considered uh, important to certain groups of people. Um, and not just fish. I mean, blue crab yeah. is a big deal in this area, right? And, um, you know, there's concern that perhaps, you know, maybe that's an issue, but I don't believe there's data to support that. In fact, uh, 
in the last five or six years alone, and I was looking at 26 years worth of data or 27 years worth of data, uh, the blue crab population has been above its average, I think, three times in the last five or six years, including this year. So yeah. you know, I have a hard time buying, buying that argument because blue crab populations have fluctuated for years and they're influenced by a lot of factors. Um, there was some talk about perhaps they're eating some of the um, more valuable shad species. Um, but there's a gentleman down in Virginia who's a biologist um, who has pretty much said uh, on his website that his research has shown that not to be true, that they primarily feed on gizzard shad, which is not one of those, you know, prized species of, of shad, you know, the American or hickory. Um, I, it's really hard because when you look at Maryland's definition of an invasive species, you know, it has kind of those three components that I talked about earlier, which is the native or introduced. I concede that. Lots of non-native besides just blue catfish and flathead catfish. But the environmental harm and the economic harm, Maryland apparently feels that it exists, although the other states have said, I don't see evidence of that. So I'm sort of saying, well, geez, why is Virginia next door saying they don't have that evidence, but, but you feel like for some reason you do. Um, well, I it's, think it's really kind of a baffling. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, you know, anytime you take a predator, a, a, a main predator, out of a body of water, something else is going to come in and take over. So I just, I can't see, you know, catfish lives matter. They matter to me, they matter to every cat fisherman that's out there. So it just, uh, I get all bent out of shape when I find out people want to start coming in, netting them, killing them, get them out of there, you know. Man, if, you're, if they're going to do that, bring them to Ohio. We'll lo we love them down here. Well, you hit the nail on the head. They're there. They're established. Okay, they've been there for a long time. So what needs to happen, in my opinion, is they need to be managed. Now, the previous uh, Dura Freshwater Fisheries was quoted um, a few years ago when he was still in that position as saying, we don't want to manage this fishery. We want to get rid of it, knock it down to the lowest level possible, and keep it that way. Well, that's not acknowledging reality. The reality is they're there in huge numbers. You can't ignore them. And you have to manage them, but for no other reason to keep the ecosystem healthy and also because you have stakeholders such as the recreational fishing guys and yeah. else, who are investing considerable time and resources to catch these fish, you know? To not manage them, I think, is an irresponsible statement because that's it's like saying, I'm going to hope the problem goes away by ignoring it. And that's just not reality, in my opinion. Yeah. Wow. This is and we're hoping that we convince them to manage it in a way that supports their desires, which is to maybe curb the population. So my group is okay with, for example, um, supporting the uh, relatively new commercial fishery um, on the Potomac, but of the smaller fish, you know? Yeah, take some of the smaller fish out of there, um, sell them to restaurants, you know, give them to shelters, etc. That's fine, because you don't want too many of any any fish in any ecosystem. I always liken it to a, uh, a pond, a small pond that has, you know, a bunch of panfish in there, but no predators such as bass or something right. to eat them. And eventually, it's going to overpopulate, and everything you catch is going to be stunted, right? So we're okay with taking some of the small fish. Um, 
by you know by traditional means. You don't support the elector. Shocking. There are some concerns there, obviously, which is something that's going on in Virginia. Um, the traditional means we're okay with, but because that large fish population is such a small percentage and so important to the recreational fishermen, you know, we're appealing to them to manage that portion for us in a way that makes that available to us today and in the future. <coughs> okay. Thanks. I appreciate the uh, info. You're very welcome. Thanks, Doc. Well, I, uh, you know, we've got a couple of, of people from your area that is on, or more than a couple, actually, uh, with this. Uh, <clears throat> Bobby Vargas says that they have a catch-and-kill tournament out there every year, and I understand uh, now that it was an angler's choice that they could kill them or not kill them this year. But if they've had that in the past, that's the most ridiculous thing I personally have ever heard of. Uh, I know there's some small tournaments that, that do that and have a fish fry, but even those uh, don't kill the, the, the large breeding-sized fish. I mean, that's just completely crazy. And I wanted to let you know that one of our, our listeners, uh, Jerry Dillard, he already went to there and filled out the, the paperwork to try to help you guys out. He thinks he wants to go out there and catch some of those fish one day. So that's a feather in his cap if he can help you guys save those fish. <clears throat> we appreciate it. Thank you, Jerry. Absolutely. Um, Bobby's point, my knowledge, uh, was the first one that they had, but there was a tournament sponsored by what they call the CCA, which is the Coastal Conservation Alliance, I believe the A stands for. might be association, but CCA is not just in Maryland. It, it extends beyond Maryland. And it was, last year's tournament was a catch-and-kill tournament. And I think it was because they partnered with the Maryland DNR on that. And I think DNR might have been influencing that. And I know Maryland DNR also was keeping fish over a certain size to take, um, you know, various samples from the, you know, the ear bones and things of that nature to understand how old they are and nature. Um, now, this year's tournament, you are correct, it was up to the angler um, as to whether or not uh, they wanted to, you know, bring the fish in and have it killed or not. And that was certainly a step in the right direction. Um, but, yeah, I, I had some issues with the, you know, no matter what size you cut, you must kill it. That, that did not go over well with me or many other of the uh, Bay Catfish advocate supporters from, you know, last year's tournament. Right, you know, and Vince has, has left uh, several little notes here for me, which I'm glad he did because I know that him and Ray Stitcher and Joe Sandbauer and Bobby, these guys are all up to speed with what's going on out there. And and Vince says that uh, they have enough smaller fish to have regulated fishery. Uh, they don't have to, to take the blue cats and do that, both commercially and trophy. Uh, and he says that Maryland does not want that, which which is pretty evident that that's right. He also tells me that there are no studies to this point that the blue cats are really detrimental. And I promise you, Brad, it, if they're worried about them blue crabs being ate by blue catfish, I'm sure they eat some of them, but they won't eat nearly as many as them stripers do. Them stripers will go through that place and clean out that blue crabs. I would be much more concerned with that than I would be the blue catfish. Well, to your point, um, I acknowledge, just like you do, that certainly blue, cat, blue catfish do eat some crabs. Um, but again, the numbers over the last 26 or 27 years have shown that in the last five or six years, uh, three times 
you know, the, the total number of blue crabs in the bay has exceeded the average number. So that alone right. me that maybe that argument is overstated. And I think a lot of that was designed to appeal to just how much people love blue crabs in this area. Um, the, the point that Vince makes is valid, too. And, and I think it's important to think about it from this perspective. Uh, one of the uh, head biologists in, in Virginia, Bob Greenlee, um, has been quoted as saying um, fish over 32 inches are essentially 1% to 2% of the total population. Now, a 32-inch fish, you know, Potomac, Gaines, at best, might be maybe 17 pounds top weight, you know, probably the 14 to 17 pound range. Now, the guys who are fishing for trophies would obviously like to catch bigger fish, right? So if you say, you know, let's say a 32-inch fish, just for the sake of discussion, 17 pounds. Well, we like to catch fish that are 40 or bigger. If those 32-inch fish are 2% of the population, the ones that are 40 pounds or bigger have to be just a fraction of 1%. And that's really all we're asking that people protect. And when you open it up to commercial anglers who make the most money by selling the biggest fish that they can to pay lake owners, that's scary because you've got just a small percentage of the fish that are really what the recreational anglers care about. Now it's wide open for these guys who can make a good chunk of change by selling them to pay lakes to come and without any kind of restrictions or regulations, take as many as they want as often as they want. And that's really scary. Well, I, and I agree, and if these legislators would see the shape of these fish when they're pulled out of those places and the disease and the, the, the sores and, and the, the malnutrition that these fish are coming out of there, you're telling, when you were, we're talking about a catfish that's head is this wide and its body's nearly that way halfway back and after it's been in there and caught and starved three or four times and it's got big old sores on the sides of it and stuff and they end up in the dumpster, uh, you know, every time that happens, instead of them fish being in the dumpster, they should take it and put it in that guy's car seat. I mean, if he don't care no more about his wildlife and his state than that, then he should take care of it. Uh, in, in some way, shape, or form. It's just crazy to see these pictures on the internet, and, and I know that they're true because they're taken right at the dumpsters and different places where these ghosts. And these these pay lake guys are running ads uh, in your area, in my area, and everywhere else of how much they'll pay for these blue catfish. If you'll hold them, they'll come and get them, and then they'll pay you for for these fish. And I, I, I you and I discussed this the other night, and I promise you that it doesn't matter if you come to Missouri and you take a live deer across the state or a turtle or a rabbit you're going to jail but it's okay if you take a live catfish out of there and evidently it's the same in Maryland that is a law that should be changed in every state if it must be killed to haul across state line then it, if you're harvesting it then it should be killed you should not be allowed to haul any wildlife of any kind out of one state into the next. If you're harvesting it, it should be killed. There's no reason to do that, and that would stop a lot. Now, with that being said, I, I've told this a couple times before. I think that there is a place for pay lakes. There's people that are handicapped and have different disabilities that can't go out and fish like you and I do. I had a nephew like that, and that's fine. They should graze them fish in a pond of their own or buy them from a place that raises them, not be allowed to take them out of public waterway. 
you know, if you're taking them fish to eat for your own personal use is one thing, but to take them and put them in a pay lake where they disease and die after being caught a few times, there's nothing right about that. I don't care what them guys say. And, and uh, you know, something's got to be done with that. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. Um, you know, it's a shame on many levels that that is allowed to happen. Um, I'd like to go back to a point that, that you mentioned from Vince, too, about there not really being any data. You know, I, I keep referring to nearby states, but I think it's relevant um, because the nearby states have been studying this, especially Virginia. They've been studying blue catfish for quite a few years now. Uh, Bob Greenlee, the biologist out at the Virginia Department of uh, Game and Inland Fisheries, was recently quoted as saying that you know, he has the only evidence that he has seen um, of the blues causing any harm is entirely circumstantial. I think that's pretty important. You know, that's right. Uh, circumstantial at best, not guaranteed proven. And um, <coughs> the only in on other fish that he has seen, and he was very careful to say this, he said he's seen a little bit of an impact on blues on channels, but certainly not crabs, shad, rockfish whatever else Marilyn is concerned about and I'm you know and you have to respect the fact that he's very clear to say that you know hey the evidence that I have is by no means conclusive you know and, and if he's been studying this for a long time and, and can come out and say that comfortably again I go back to my um, cart before the horse argument you know Marilyn is making decisions as if they have data they really don't have data and plus the data that is available from nearby states certainly is not by any means conclusive or a something that a group of scientists would look at and say with consensus, yeah, we, we strongly feel that way. Absolutely. It sounds to me like there's been some very poor decisions made in your area without having uh, studies done to make sure that they're doing the right thing or at least looking at what Virginia has done and saying, hey, these guys have actually looked at it. Let's take a look at what they've got. But they're just making decisions uh, off the cuff and that's I, I never heard of anything so ridiculous. That's just, that's just nuts. I want to ask you about something that we're getting a lot of people writing in on our chat box tonight. Uh, they, why is the Maryland uh, DNR not as concerned with uh, the coal ash being dumped into the river as they are worried about the catfish? <laughs> that's That's an interesting question. I mean... You know, the coal ash thing was obviously permitted by Virginia, the Department of uh, Environment, Environmental Quality, the DEQ. Um, I, I can't honestly answer that. I mean, it's it's okay. Well, let me ask you another question. This coal ash, as it's dumped in there, won't that stop a certain amount of oxygen and actually kill a, a bunch of the fish, and not just catfish, but all fish? Uh, absolutely, and um, Virginia, the group that approved the power company's permit to do that, seems to be the only state that doesn't see the risks associated with that coal ash wastewater. Um, there's one gentleman who is a former Maryland DNR biologist who now works for the Pennsylvania, or excuse me, the Potomac River Fisheries Commission. He has come out and noted not only a lot of concerns about it, but mentioned that some of this is in, you know, being dumped in the middle of essentially prime spawning grounds for other fish that are important to people too. 
Um, it's really an interesting thing. It's one of these deals where, you know, when they were considering approving this permit, they said there were over a thousand comments submitted in writing, and 99.9% of them were in opposition, yet Virginia allowed it to happen anyway. Um, it's really hard to explain. Um, and then, of course, it later became public that the gentleman who's in charge of the Virginia DEQ um, had a previous questionable relationship with the power company. Um, there was an article that stated the power company paid for him to go on an expensive golf trip and so on and so forth. So that's churned up some interesting you know, questions regarding ethics and things of that nature. But certainly everybody outside of Virginia has opposed this, expressed concern, hey, can you study it further before you approve it? But for whatever reason, Virginia allowed it to happen. That, that's amazing. And uh, I'm going to make a suggestion here, and it's um, I feel like it's my business, even though I'm not a resident of Maryland or Virginia, but along with writing messages to Maryland to try to get this idiocracy thing of, of getting rid of these blue catfish done, I would suggest that any listeners that that uh, are true conservationists send the Virginia people a message, an email, write them a letter, call them on the phone, and tell them to stop dumping that coal ash into those rivers. It's more detrimental than anything. And if they want to lose them blue crabs, you shut off the amount of oxygen that goes through that river, and it won't just be blue crabs and cat. It'll be everything that'll end up dying out there. And then they won't have nothing but a stagnant set of water running up and down that. It's just crazy. And it's, it's happened in other states as well. They've dealt with that issue. I believe North Carolina was one of the states that dealt with that. Uh, you know, even even with, uh, it's just hard to believe, even with attempts to filter it, etc., that there's nothing dangerous in that coal ash water residual, if you will. I mean, it looks like a bunch of sludge, and, and that's a lot of the concerns. There has to be some, some remnants of toxic metals, etc., etc., even with the best attempt to clean it, you know? Absolutely. I've seen some of the pictures guys have posted. You know, um, I know that Vince is very passionate about this. I know that Joe Sandbauer and Greg Aaron and Bobby Vargas are very passionate about the, what they're trying to get done out there. Ray Stitcher, um, Ray is really uh, hardcore into this. He, he, he fishes a lot. His family fishes a lot as all these guys do, but you guys have, you, I don't know what I can do to make it any better other than having you on the show and tell them as many people as we can to fill out this paperwork. It's so important to help these guys out. You know, there's no reason to lose a fishery like the Potomac River to not be able to go out there and catch blue catfish. I just, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard of. I've, I've, I've dreamed about going out there myself. I've been invited by a number of people, and it always something seems to come up. But I'm like Chuck. I'm to the point where I feel like before I ever get a chance to make it, that that fishery as we know it now will not be there and at that point I'll have no reason to go out there and uh, you know I know that that this commercial I, I see firsthand what commercial fishing does to the Mississippian River and it used to do it to the Missouri River they finally stopped that in Missouri and they don't have enough sense to stop it on the Mississippi River 
uh, it's ridiculous. And all they, all any of these states, and it doesn't matter if it's Maryland or if it's Illinois or if it's Missouri or if it's Ohio or Indiana, put that 34-inch rule in effect, and that it it's not cost-effective for those guys to go out there and catch one 34-inch fish a day or two 34-inch fish a day. That rule in itself will take care of 90% of the issues we have with people over-harvesting breeding-sized fish. Yep, and if, if nothing else, just remember the percentages that I quoted earlier. You know, probably right. a small percentage of 1% is in that trophy category. You know, it's not, it's not a lot of fish, and, and we have right. to protect that. We can't open that up either through poor regulations or no regulations at all to let people come and just take what they want because given the small number of those really big fish, it won't take long for people, especially if they're motivated by profit, bring that number down to practically nothing. That's right. And Vince has left me another message here. It says that Maryland, uh, the, the bank advocates need numbers. That's the bottom line. We need as many people to go to their website and complete that survey and get it to them so they can use it because they need our support and it's it's so true and we ask for this for Ohio and we've asked our, our, our viewers uh, in, in Kentucky, we've asked our viewers in Missouri, we've asked them to help all other states. Maryland is no different. Right now they need our support and if you care about catfish and you care about the Potomac River they got an absolutely great fisher in there is absolutely no reason to see that go by the wayside it should if they should be protecting that and promoting it if they want to make money in their state promote the fact that you've got 60 and 80 pound blue catfish caught on a regular basis man they, they probably have to put a stoplight on every block to keep people out of there you know if as many people knew about the quality of fishing you all have out there as a bunch of us do there's there's no telling what they, they could get done you know they're they they're going to make a whole lot more money off catfishing than they are off a lot of them other species of fish out there. I mean, who wants to go out there and catch a fish in? I, I have no use for one. Well, you know, to, to give you a little quantifying of a statement I made earlier, earlier I said, you know, big fish are fairly common on the Potomac. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, I fish Josin Bowers Potomac River Monster Cats Tournament Trail for two years, in 2012 and 2013. That trail allows you to bring in your two biggest fish for weigh-in. You can weigh your two biggest fish, and of course you have to release them alive. Well, if you didn't have two fish at 80 pounds, most of the time it wasn't even worth showing up for the weigh-in because you weren't going to be anywhere near the top. So think about that. Um, I can remember one November, uh, we were fortunate enough to catch two, two fish. They were 116 pounds, combined weight. And guess what? We finished fourth. fourth. With how much? 116 for two fish. And we 116. <laughs> yep. What does that tell you? Um, yeah. The next November, we had 114 pounds, and we were fortunate enough to finish first. But, you know, to catch fish of that quality regularly is really special. There's not many places you can go and say that that happens on a fairly frequent basis. And that's what we're trying to protect here, not only for the people who enjoy it today, but for future generations. That's right. That's, you know, and we're missing, 
we're missing that whole aspect because I know that you have some small children, and, and if they get rid of those fish to the to the, the the way that you see them now, by the time your children get to be big enough to appreciate that, there's liable not to be any quality fish out there. And that would be one of those, you know, really ashamed stories. You know, you hear some of the old timers talk about the way it was back in the day, but we can do something about it now to keep it that way. If that's we right. Now we have 1,600 people who've supported our Facebook page by liking it. Now likes are obviously quick and easy on Facebook. Well, as you stated earlier, all that form we put together is quick and easy too. You it know, is. It's it or less. It's not as fast. <laughs> it's not as quick as. <laughs> it's not as quick as hitting that like button, but it don't take very much longer. It just takes take a very time. few seconds. You know, yep. it's it is it needs to be done. Uh, Vince says that. The, the numbers of fish that you get out there will actually spoil you. I'm quite sure that it is. I've known Vince for a long time. I've seen the fish that he catches. I've seen the ones that Bobby and them catch and Joe and, and Aaron and all them guys and Ray and Jacob and Rena. They all put just wonderful fish in the boat and, and they do it. The key to what you was talking about a while ago is they do it consistently. Now, you can, come to, you can come to the Mississippi River and, and probably catch a bigger fish once in a while than you're going to catch out there just simply because they've had blue catfish and flatheads for a hundred years, or a thousand years, million years, who knows. But you guys consistently are putting big fish in a boat. And uh, the, the reasoning, when we had Twist, Twisted Cat Outdoors, the reasoning that we had the three fish limit was taken in context from what you guys was doing out there because most people don't have a live well. Now, now a lot of the, the newer boats are set up that way, but when people start out, most people don't have a boat that will withstand 250 or 350 pound fish in a live well all day long. And that is such a great idea. Every tournament director that has a tournament that has any size fish should all put a limit on how many fish they catch. Uh, I mean, there's even even the 100 gallon live well will only support so many big fish, but the two fish intrigued me, and we went with the three fish because a lot of the tournaments we have are in channel cat water or where they have small blues or small flatheads, and you can withstand a five fish limit. But when we go to St. Louis or places like that, there's you know Danny Southland gets that fish 195.2 pounds on three fish. I mean. How many people can keep them kind of fish alive all day in a tournament? There's just very few, you know. So, uh, but if things are getting better, and and I I have to uh, commend them guys out there for that two fish rule because uh, I don't remember seeing anybody ever mention anything about losing fish at weigh in, and to me that's extremely important as a tournament fisherman. Yeah. Well, I couldn't agree more. That's the most important thing. There's nothing more exciting than seeing big fish weighed in, especially if you're one of the teams that has one of the big fish. But the most important thing at the end of the day is that those fish swim away healthy. That's and right. I, I can tell you this for a fact. Within that tournament trail, there have been several guys who have caught big fish. And because they had concerns about the condition of the fish and whether they could keep it alive until weigh-in time, they chose to let it go, and probably as a result of doing that, jeopardized a placement in the tournament. And that's because these fish are important to us. Right. About I, I, 
you know, it's not about showing up at, at the tournament and saying I won and then one of the two fish dies. It's more important to have both of them swim away or just bring one and let it swim away. Right. You know, we've we've uh, we've released fish like that and I have went in to weigh in early. Uh, if I thought I had a fish in thing. And, and one of the things that, that we do out here, and, and Brad Kilpatrick's really good about it, and Alex Nagy has got a deal going. Uh, they have oxygen set up in big holding facilities for these fish when people bring them in and weigh them. And when they get released, they're in better shape than they was when they was caught, you know. And, and I, you know, I got to commend those guys for doing that. It, it works out really well. But, uh, uh, is there anything that we've missed that you feel like we need to, to go over, Brad? No, you guys have done a great job, and again, I thank you for having me and letting uh, letting me talk a little bit about what we're doing. I just want to throw out one more appeal to everybody out there, regardless of what state you live in, regardless of what species you prefer to catch. You know, it doesn't take a huge commitment to help us out little actions such as simply going onto our baycatfish.com website, clicking on the Make a Difference button in the top right, and filling out that simple form, which again is a very quick and easy process, have helped us, so, you know, those sort of little actions have helped us so far, and will continue to help us going forward. And it's especially important now as we try to do something a little more drastic, such as convince a state who obviously has some opposition to catfish for whatever reason to implement a pretty dr drastic paradigm change here which is to protect them so if you could please regardless again of where you live what you fish for uh, take a few minutes go out and fill that form out for us and it will go a long way to helping um, our effort and of course if we're successful which I certainly hope we are um, other states can of course leverage that effort that we are doing here and expect us to support them in turn that's exactly right, and that's what's going. That's what makes it better for everybody involved. If the guys from Ohio will help you and and help me, and and the guys from Missouri will help you and help the guys in Indiana, it's the only way this is going to get better. And we all got to work together. Uh, it, it has to be that way to be a success, and that's what we need to do. That is the key. Together, we have to come together as a collective entity here and not, you know, as a bunch of individual fragmented groups. This is something that everybody cares about, and the opportunity to show it uh, as far as Bay Catfish Advocates is concerned is right now, and we really need some help. Absolutely. To, uh, help. I want to encourage everybody that, that catfishes to get on there, and, and when, like as you know, Brad, when, when this show is over, it will post to YouTube, and people can watch it, and they'll watch it, and they'll listen to it on podcast and I hope that everybody that watches it from now on or listens to it and downloads it off of our podcast will go ahead and, and take a minute. I know it don't take a minute to fill that out and get that sent in. These guys need your help so bad, and we need to get it going. One other thing I wanted to, to talk about, and I had a bunch of guys write in on our chat about this, is the amount of trot lines that are out there, these people trying to catch those fish. Boys, I'm telling you, I feel for you. In the Midwest, these trot liners have been going at it since the beginning of time. I've done it myself. I don't do it any longer. Uh, and if they didn't keep every big fish they caught, I wouldn't care if they done it. The problem is it's just like the, the noodlers 
they don't ever throw anything back, and even if they did throw it back, they've already raped it off of the nest, so it would, the fish, the, the spawning fish, would die anyhow. But you guys are on it up. You think is this this bait trying to get this Maryland just to uh, get off the, your back about catfish? And you try to stop that trot line, and good luck with that. Uh, you know, and like I say, if if they would put a 34 inch one or two over 34 inch rule in effect in every state that would take care of so many of those problems because a lot of these guys will not go out and set a bunch of lines or nets uh, if they gotta throw everything back except two over 34 inches they just won't do it and, and and I what I run into and I'm gonna pass share this with you Brad these these clowns admire say oh we got we can't feed our family unless we have these fish to eat well, you know, my answer to that is every McDonald's that I go by has got a help wanted sign. It's a lot cheaper to go buy groceries than it is to buy a boat, gas, and license, and hooks, and bait, and fishing rods, and reel, and all the stuff you got to do. It's cheaper just to go buy food at the grocery store. So if you need that food to eat that bag, go get you a job. You know, it's just that simple. No, I agree, Lyle. And, and really, one thing that we try to promote is it's about a balance between all the stakeholders, you know? I mean, if, if the commercial fishermen did what you just described, all the other stakeholders who have an interest in catfish and the waters in the Bay region that they're in, they would lose out too. There has to be a bounce there in That's which right. everybody's interest can be met in some way, but certainly not at the expense of one or more of the other stakeholders. And you're right. I agree. Other ways to make a living out there, I agree. Yep, you know, and and there is a need for commercial fishing. I'm not saying there's not. Uh, if if they would would drive the 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 price of these Asian carp, they can catch all them they want. There is an endless supply of them, and if we ever do run out, there's nobody going to be mad about it. So let let's quit moving our efforts towards catfishing, commercially catfishing these these rivers. And move it towards these Asian carps, because there's people that you, you know. People always talking about all oh, the people overseas are starving to death. Well, catch those carp and let them buy them. Uh, it's a good source of protein. They tell me they're great to eat. It gives them guys some way to make a living. They don't have to steal all the catfish out of the water. I see no problem with that. Yeah, I agree. I, I see no problem. Yeah, and and you don't have Asian carp out there. I'm glad that you don't, because. Uh, you won't like well, that either. No, nope, and, and that, of course, is, not, you know, we don't want them here, so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Well, listen, we're, we're running on a little long on time, but, Brad, thank you so much. And, and uh, when you when you get a chance, if you go to Catfish Weekly Facebook page and, and post a link to that uh, Make Catfish Advocate site and uh, a little... Uh, a description of how to go about and fill that paperwork out. Hopefully we can get some people to sign that and, and get it done. Like I say, people, it only takes just a couple of seconds, and it's it's something that we all need to do. I most certainly will do that. And again, Lyle, Doc, Doc thanks for having me. Well, thank, thank you, you so much, and uh, we will be talking to you soon. Take care. Have a good evening. All right, Brad. Well, that's a really important stuff. Uh, I, I hope people take the time to do that. Like I say, when Chuck was talking with him, I'd already done it, but just to see how long it took, and it was about 40 seconds. Uh, I'm not a very fast typer, so I know 
Uh, it'll take you guys just a few seconds to do this. If it takes you a minute, you know, that's just a, a minute that this is the most worthwhile thing you could possibly do in, in 60 seconds. I, I can't express yeah. how, how important this is. I did it. I did it while you were talking. You're pretty long-winded, but I mean, you know, I I was able to get in there <laughs> and get it made out while you were talking. So, well, you know, I usually I try not to get that like that, but when I get on one of these deals about conservation and, and as important as it is everywhere, those guys are really fighting it hard out there. And I, oh, my yeah. point was, and I I know I went on a little bit with it, but I wanted people to understand how important it is that they do fill that paperwork out. Because it really is. Chuck, what do you got for tonight before we get off of here? They give 100% to this conservation out there on the Potomac. Um, and if everybody just uh, put in a little bit, um, you know, at least go fill them forms out. And, um, you know, the like they said, you know, strengths and numbers, you know, if... if if that's what it's going to take, we all need to stand up and, and you know be heard. So um, that's about all I've got, Lyle, for tonight. All right, buddy. Doc, how about some closing statements and a tip of the week? Uh, closing statements. Uh, let me just go over a few tournaments that happened around in the area. Cabela's had a tournament in Mount Vernon. Forty boats were involved. Uh, first place was Scott Cress and Carl Crone, 9152 pounds. Second was David Shipman and Brooke Wil Wilbanks, 87.78. That was close. And then uh, third, was yeah, Aaron Wheatley, third was Aaron Wheatley and Rusty Morris, 85.92 pounds. Big Fish was Don Big Mark and Skylar Robbins. And that was a 48.16 pound blue cat. Uh, another tournament, Southwest Ohio Catfish Club. It was out of Riverside, Cincinnati. Uh, Willie Smith and Drew Brenner had 53 pounds. Adam Denier and Kyle Batchelor were second with 45.4. And they had a big fish which was a 23 pound flathead. And third was Scott Wilson and Don Eller. 43 pounds. Cat Chasers, Karma Series out of Ohio, James Wesley and Craig Shirley. First place, 51.10 pounds, and that is channel cats. Uh, six fish limit, so that, that's some heavy, heavy channel cats. Eric Brammer, Jack Creed, second place, 49.11 pounds. Dana and Tina Jackson, 39.7 pound big fish, 13.10 pound channel cat. That's a big channel cat in Ohio. That's a big channel cat anywhere, really. That's right. That's right. Uh, I had one. Oh, ICA flathead bash. I I didn't get it. It was tough uh, getting the information. Scott did send it to me. It was from. Uh, it was held on Lake Schaefer in Indiana. Mary Jane Wood and Terry Holding had 74 pounds. A big fish was a 23-pound flathead. Scott Wiseman and Chris Fudd Wallace were second place with 30.2 pounds of fish. Uh, that's the only information I got on that tournament there. Uh, Doc's tip for the night, uh, cast net care. 
Um, I've had a lot of questions from people saying, how can I get a cast net to last for more than a year? And my, what I tell people, I say, well, what's, what's going on with the cast net? And they say, well, the lines at the bottom are coming unraveled and stuff like that. Well, I can tell you what's going on. Um, and, and everybody does it. I did it when I was young. Now I don't because uh, I got smart and just got tired of putting out money every time uh, for a new cast net every year. And uh, so what is happening is when you leave a cast net in a bucket, the water gathers on it and it starts rotting out those cords that are along the bottom that hold that. That and the fact that monofilament absorbs water after so much of a time. So what I do now, and I'm going to tell everybody to do, you know, I've got big cleats that are on the front of my ProCat 240, and I grab a hold of the net, and I bring it up, and I just make a couple wraps around it and let the net hang just off of the surface of the barn floor and let it dry out. After it's dried, then I put it in the bucket. And... Uh, you can get a cast net the last five, six years that way. Um, and that's why they go bad is because, you know, they can't be sitting there soaking in a bucket full of water. You know, you, that's the first thing everybody does. They, they throw the cast net out there, they get their bait, they put that net back in the bucket, and uh, a week or two later when they get that cast net back out of the bucket, you know, there's an inch or two of water in there, and that cast net and them lead weights have been sitting there that whole time, and just sitting there, and, and that the rope and the strings all start breaking down, and then they just start coming apart. So, uh, guys, try to keep your cast nets after you uh, uh, get them out of the water. When you get back in from a tournament or something, get them out, get them aired out. Don't let them get get in the sun. Don't air them out in the sun. Uh, keep them in the shade or something, someplace cool. Uh, they'll last almost twice as much, twice as long as what your normal cast nets are. And that's Doc's tips for the week. Awesome. That's that's really good. Uh, I know I'm bad about not taking care of my nets like I do, and I've got plenty of them. But usually before they ever get to rot out, I've hung a rock or a tree limb or uh, something and ripped the whole side of one of them out. And unless you got a tip for that. I <laughs> Don't throw it on a rock. Yeah, I, I, I've had brand new ones throw them out the first or second throw and just rip the crap out of them, you know, where there's no repairing them. And at that point, the only salvation I got is getting it back in and have some lead to melt down. <laughs> I wanted to talk about the Grafton River Rat Tournament. Uh, the they had in Grafton, Illinois, and I can't find the results. I thought I had them saved on here, and I can't find them. But uh, I know that Anthony Maggard had a good day. I know that Danny Southen and uh, fished with uh, some boys up from Bowling Green, Louisiana, and they had uh, like sixth place. But Justin Wolf fished with his brother Matthew, and his dad ended up in third place down there overall. Now, Justin, uh, that, that's a great finish for Justin and them guys. The thing that, that uh, I wanted to share with you guys about Justin's uh, tournament uh, day, it was a two-day tournament, and uh, he had posted some pictures and a little story about what went on down there. And uh, he actually had a real seat break 
on a, at what appears to me to be an Abu Garcia, uh, I'm guessing a 65 or 6600. And the, the, the rivets in the bottom of this that goes through from the real seat to the bottom of the uh, uh, reel actually just sheared off. Uh, and, and this was on a 26-pound I believe. And if you go to Justin Wolf's Facebook page, these, these pictures are posted on there. And uh, I guess in the end result was to get this fish in the boat, it took one of them holding the reel and operating it by hand, another one to hold the rod to kind of keep uh, track of where it was at, and the other one was in there <laughs> pulling the line up by hand. So if you can imagine what that was like, uh, but it ended up they got a third place on a two-day tournament, and uh, there's nobody in the world I'd rather see do good in a tournament than, than Justin and his family, and, and it's outstanding if those two boys get to fish with their dad like that. Uh, that's that's really cool. Um, hopefully we've got a tournament coming up this weekend. Uh, Twisted Cat Outdoors, I believe it's in Warsaw, Illinois. Uh, be channel cat only unless you happen to trip on a flathead up there. There's no blues above the Keokuk Dam. Ought to be a great time. Looks like it might be a little rainy. We'll just have to see how that works out. But uh, it, it should be a good tournament for everybody to go. $100 entry fee. You can contact Alex Nagy. He will get you guys hooked up on that. Um, please, 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 if you guys take a few seconds to fill out that paperwork on the BayAdvocates.com webpage, it only takes a minute. It is well worth the effort. They need our help. And when, when help is needed in your area, Ray and Bobby and them guys, uh, Vince, Joe, Greg, all them guys will be there for us when we need their help. And, and it's important to save that Potomac River. It really is. So uh, if you get a chance, take care of that. I'd appreciate it. I know Doc and Chuck would too. Uh, looking forward to next week. We'll get things figured out and, and get a new show going for you. Uh, thanks for watching Catfish Weekly, and we'll see you next Monday night.